Hello and welcome to episode 192 of What Most People Think. I'm in a good mood, man. I went I went to a mate's 50th um, at the weekend and uh, he is, uh, that's my mate Luke. Happy birthday, Luke. We had a good laugh. He uh, He's like me, he likes his house music, so it was like a bit of a club night. It was uh, it was a lot of people out there dancing who might have had to have some ibuprofen the following day. Um, but one thing I realised is, is, is if you just have older friends... My friends on average, this group of lads in particular, are all about roughly four to five years older than me. So every single time they go through, you know, they've all been becoming 50 recently. I say to them, happy birthday, and I am significantly younger than you. I hope this helps. Just drop that in every time, just to remind them, okay? It makes me feel... Makes me it makes me feel young. Just befriend people who are older than you. Uh, sort of Keir Starmer. I don't know if you saw this last week. Keir and Rishi are going toe to toe on who can look toughest on Law and Order. And and Keir Starmer gave this very strange speech where he said he was talking about um, some constituents that had told him about the smell of cannabis, and Keir was getting very upset. And they sit there with their window open, and there's a smell of cannabis. Coming into it. it was just such a weird thing to go on. Like, obviously, if you live in a place where it stinks of weed all the time, you know, that I guess that is annoying. But, you know, from a politics point of view, surely you either express a view on what you thought about cannabis, whether or not should, you know, you should police should go harder for possession. I think that would go against public opinion at this point. So you just thought, oh, I know I can seem tough. I'm gonna seem really cross about the smell of cannabis just everywhere. Everywhere you go now, cannabis. Very noxious smell, or if you're into your ganja, maybe not so much. And then, meanwhile, you've got the Tories getting rid of uh, of laughing gas. They're going to make laughing gas illegal. It's just so funny. At this point, we've got all these problems. The two main leaders of the, the two parties are just kind of going, one of them's going to go, uh, you know, illegal drugs. I want to make them illegal. And and Rishi is just gone, right, all right, Keir's done cannabis. What's left for me? Oh, I could, oh I'll, do, I'll do laughing gas. I mean... I feel like there are more important things, but there you go. Steady the ship, Rishi, though. Um, there's certainly, I know that there was an outlier poll, which I referenced last week. Um, that seems to have corrected a little bit, and the Tories haven't caught up quite as much as that suggested. But there is definitely a steady the ship, Rishi effect. I mean, if you want to put it in cricket terms, I think the Tories were 36 for eight when Rishi came to the wicket, and he's rebuilt to 84 for eight. Now, that's not going to, this is third inning, so it's not going to set Labour much of a target. So he needs someone to stay with him. I think he needs to maybe post a, ch- a run chase of about 160 to make it interesting to Labour. But I'd say Labour were still, you know, on task to win by about eight, eight, eight wickets. I've got an announcement. I've got a text. Is that what I said on Love Island? Um, I've got a new book coming out. So this podcast should be going up on Thursday and it is available for pre-order now. It's called The British Bloke Explained. Now, let me explain. Uh, no, it's... Fuck, I fucked it up already. It's called The British Bloke Decoded. It's called The British Bloke Decoded. And the reason for it is, is, you know, men and blokes, we've been sort of getting a tough time in the media over the last few years. And I thought, what have I got a lot of experience in being is a bloke, right? I've got 46 years of solid research in the field. And I kind of came to realise, you know, and put this sort of plays into the tour a little bit as well, but I am I am sort of the average bloke, you know, I'm uh, I'm nearly five foot nine. <laughs> uh, I'm probably nearer to five foot eight in fairness. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm just over 13 stone. I've got size nine feet. My favourite food is curry. My favourite drink is lager. You know, just I went through everything. I thought I am bang smack in the middle of everything. So I've sort of written a book which is supposed to be, you know, a bit insightful but mostly funny. Just trying to explain uh, men's crapness. You know I say that there's no adverts on this podcast. Bear with me. Uh, But men's kind of crapness and weirdness but also our splendour. Let's give men, uh, blokes in particular, a a bit of credit. So listen, if you listen to this podcast and um, you... You know, you're not the Patreon thing is not something you're quite up for, or you know, you haven't been to a tour show yet. You could do, you could do me such a solid right now, which is go to my Twitter page or on Amazon, just type in Jeff Norcott, the British bloke decoded, and pre-order it. And I'll tell you why pre-orders are so important because last time, I just fucking ignorant. It always takes me a while to work stuff out. Is that I didn't realise that every single order 
from the moment it goes available from pre-orders to the week that it fully comes out, goes for your first week sale. So that could be like, you know, 20 weeks. And that is how they they do the Sunday Times bestseller list. So all these fucking, you know, all these, these posh novelists, they know this, novelists, authors, they know this, they arrange everything. I'm just working it out. So if you could all do me a side, I could just be a Sunday Times bestseller, even if it's only on the list for one week and then it drops out forever. That I can take that to the bank. If, you, if you've enjoyed this podcast and you just thought there's one thing you could do for me, it's just pre-order the book. And I don't even mean pre-order it if you didn't want it. I mean, if you're going to get the book at some point, um, just pre-order it and I'd appreciate it very greatly. Um, new patrons. Now, because uh, there was no new patrons this week. Fuck it, no, that's the first time that's happened in a long time. So um, this is why I'm selling it hard. Um, VIP, remember if you're a VIP patron, when they do the Patreon-only episodes, of which there's another one coming soon, you have a guaranteed question in it. As long as the question isn't inferring that some celebrity is a nonce. <laughs> Unless they are a nonce, you know, uh, then I'm happy to deal with it. But I thought, you know, given this week that there are no new patrons, I'd just give a shout-out to to some existing ones. So let's give a shout-out to some board members. Laura, Laura Smart. Johan Riederstrom. Johan Riederstrom. I don't. Did I ever read your name out, Johan? Because I don't know what I said your name sounded like before, but Johan Riederstrom. You just sound like you are one of the backup bass guitarists in Metallica. You know, as these rock bands get fucking old now, and some of them just have need of elbow operations, you just get some guy. Johan Riederstrom. Um, we've got Paul Roberts, who's just like that is the most English name ever. And Adam Lewis, my friend Adam, who lives out there uh, in Denmark. Let's give a couple of shouts out to some VIPs, David Allen and Alex Williams. All right, let's go on to the main talking point now. So our super patron, David Domain, uh, picks up some things from last week's show where we had um, Francis Foster. And David mentions that in terms of dull leaders and effectiveness, Clement Attlee was a bland character, especially in contrast to Churchill. Yet he led Labour to an enormous majority in 1945, a government which created the welfare state as we knew it, uh, we know it. And the Tories had Harold Macmillan, a dry Etonian type. However, his work as PM and Chancellor before that lifted the UK out of post-World War II austerity. Uh, he led the Tories to an increased majority in 1959. So, yeah, I guess there is form for kind of boring guys doing the business. But I, I, here's the difference maybe, David, is that that was before we had rolling news and social media. Were those guys memeable, you know? That's what you need to can you could you mean Clement Attlee? Did he have a funny voice? Did he have a little funny expression? Did he ruffle his hair? See, you know, I mean, did Harold Macmillan have a monocle? You know, it's one of those things in modern politics where you'd think it'd be a stick to beating with, but the kids love that shit. Most okay, do a quick thank you and a fuck you. So the thank you is to Hamza Youssef um, for proving, you know, well. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? With all the talk we have about the UK and, and people often saying it's it's racist and, you know, it's a bigoted and horrible country. We now have a situation where the First Minister of Scotland uh, is Asian and a Muslim. Um, Rishi is uh, Anglo-Indian and is a Hindu. You know, I think the leader of the opposition in Scotland is Anas Sawa, obviously Sadiq Khan in London. I think how many more of these things have to happen where you go, well, actually, compared to a lot of European countries, this is this is incredibly diverse and progressive, but a lot of people still want to talk about, you know, Britain, like, uh, it's on fire. This country's burning while this country... Well, when did, when did that word suddenly become such a popular way of describing what's happening? It could, they, they've got no more extremes left to go to, have they? It's on fire. It's burning. I mean, they, they don't realise, people that talk like that, how much they sound like hellfire and damnation Christians, right? Which would probably be everything that they claim to oppose. But it's another example of language inflation, isn't it? It's the same as pandemic. Now, everything is a pandemic. We've got an obesity pandemic, we've got a violence pandemic, we've got antisocial pandemic. So all that will happen is the word pandemic will eventually mean quite a lot of. <laughs> It'll be like literally, wouldn't it? It just mean, yeah, there's a fair bit of it. Yeah. So when when uh, like if the if you've got some delivery drivers dropping off, you know, some some uh, parcels, you go, is there a lot there? Yeah, yeah there's a pandemic. <laughs> there's a pandemic of parcels, meaning that there's, you know, there's, there's a few. There's a few. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about um, Hamza Youssef coming to power is that who, who, who will it make it easier for? Because, you know, he's not going to be Nicola Sturgeon. Sturgeon, whatever you thought of her, clearly held together the SNP to certainly electorally, maybe not in terms of membership. 
But Hamza Yusuf, I don't, I don't think he's quite the same calibre of politician. So will he make it easier for the Labour, for Labour or the Tories? I think, you know, what we now can see is that there's a wing of the SNP which is more small C conservative. And it depends whether or not they then think, well, you know, is this my party? Will, will I, you know, it's going to be hard for them if they're nationalists to go the conservative party. Maybe old fucking lucky Keir just keeps sweeping it all up. You know, this guy, nothing he is doing or saying has really landed. No big policy, no ideas. And yet everyone around him is just, you know, you know, those bits in the films where the guy puts a gun in his mouth and just shoots himself in the head. That is what has happened to all of Keir, Keir Starmer's political opponents. So, so I guess that that is going to be good news for Labour in Scotland, because let's be honest, in terms of Labour winning a majority or a big majority, Scotland is um, Scotland is a real key to it. If they can win 20 seats there, you know, that's going to make it a lot easier for them. But having said that, Keir Starmer did send out a tweet um, congratulating Hamza Yusuf and noting the historical significance of there being a first, uh, you know, non-white First Minister of Scotland. But he, in the same tweet, he said, basically, oh, yeah, congratulations, this is a historic moment. And then without, like, even saying however, he just went, the SNP cannot deliver in Scotland, vote Labour. <laughs> it was almost like a, it was almost like a cut and shut of a tweet, wasn't it? You go, well, there's two separate tweets. He's gone, fuck it, I'll just bang them out together. And um, and it just, I don't think that that was, either you think, if you think this is a historic moment, right? then just pay homage to that and maybe do a separate tweet. It was a bit weird. But he wants it, though, Keir, doesn't he? I've noticed recently in interviews and on his podcast sort of tours, he keeps saying, look, this isn't about me. This look, is not about me. This is not... If someone keeps saying that, you're going, yeah, maybe it is. Look, I'm not... I'm not. It's not about me getting into number 10 and putting the new, the new curtains that I've already picked out and the furniture that uh, I've currently got on order... I, I think he I think he's I think he wants it, man. I, I agree that maybe when he started his life or even his political life, this might not be what he wanted, but every interview I hear with him, this guy and nothing wrong with wanting to be Prime Minister, but what will he sacrifice in the process? There's plenty now. He's got plenty of fucking one eighty Kears to his name. I mean, even on the, the cannabis thing, he was he's gone from saying, um, you know, look, you know, it's not an immediate priority, but decriminalisation is something any government would look at, to going, the smell of cannabis fucks me right off. <laughs> I'm well hard. Okay, we have our guest this week. Uh, it's a guest show this week, and we have Zoe Lyons on the show, and I just enjoyed the chat with Zoe so much. I will say up front, if it just become, if it ends up sounding like a chat between two old mates, then that's kind of what it was, because we started with the same agency uh, at the same time, and Zoe is just, you know, people just so good at stand-up she's got she's got all the skill set that you need she's got great delivery got great act outs impersonations great observations she's brilliant and we had a chat about the way the comedy circuit is going we also had a chat about you know about what happened with, with brexit and the kind of comedy that people were doing and where sometimes that was you know ill-judged it was really it was a really great chat uh, and i hope you enjoy it so this is the conversation with the brilliant zoe lyons And I'm pleased to welcome uh, to what most people think this week is uh, my friend, colleague, and one-time Murph Control stable mate, Zoe Lyons. So, <laughs> Zoe, welcome to the show. Lovely to see you, Jeff. It's, it's been so long. It has. We used to work with each other all the time. Well, this is what I was thinking, was we were signed to an agency called Murph Control with the... Uh, uh, inimitable Jeff Whiting, who everyone imitates, yeah. which is often the case for inimitable people, um, and and he he's actually cropped up on the podcast quite a lot. But I was thinking, I was thinking back to those days. One of the things about being a Murph Control Act was you drove a lot, and you did a lot in yeah. the West Country. Do you, do you have oh, a sort? Yeah. Do you have a memory of a sort of weirdest or furthest away gig? Oh God, I've got several down that way. I remember doing one for Jeff down in Plymouth. This one always sticks in my head because, you know, mm. those days it was very much hand-to-mouth existence. Yes. It was, you know, you know, you were getting a small amount of cash that just about covered your petrol, maybe a sandwich, if you were lucky, you know, if you were feeling extravagant. Yeah, yeah. And I remember driving to that one in Plymouth. Did you ever do that one in Plymouth that was in, like, a little basement room? Yes. Like a little sort of Club Fandango. Bar. Club Fandango! <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, could it sound more Benidorm? It's <laughs> Club Fandango. Yeah. And there was a tiny little, you sort of performed in the corner. Um, it had like painted tables, as any place called Club Fandango would. And, do you know the guy that ran it? Um, everyone thought, just called him Andy Fandango for so long. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think yeah. people people thought that that was his name eventually. His actual name. I yeah. played that gig more times than I care to mention. And it, yeah. we were driving to it once and thinking, right, if I drive at a sensible speed, um, I'll just about be able to cope on the petrol that I've got, you know, money-wise, yeah. uh, have a sandwich, and I'll probably make a tenner. And um, as I drove down to Plymouth, I got flashed by a speed camera, and I just went, well, that's I'm already minus yeah. 50 quid now. And oh, I could have to take the sandwich back, kept the receipt. I mean, now, I mean, now it's interesting you mention it because obviously the economics of doing stand up then could be tight when you were starting out. But even as you were yeah. saying about petrol and sandwiches, I was thinking, well, God, if there's two things that cost loads more now, it's petrol, oh it's petrol and sandwiches. Yeah, isn't it? It's, um, I, yeah, I, I mean, it was just about manageable, I think, when we started. Hmm. And if you were savvy with your trains, you'd be able to sort of book way in advance and get really cheap tickets and would make long yeah. distance gigs doable. But now it's just, you know, I don't know how people are doing it. It's really, really well, tricky. Well, that's what I was wondering is, is, are they doing it? Because now, the because the, when we were getting going in the early noughties, you know, being yeah. a circuit comic was an end in itself. And also it was, you know, once you got decent at it, you could earn okay money. But yeah. it's very hard to see what the motivation for a young comic now is to go to Bodmin yeah. on a Bude on a on a Wednesday, um, you know it's yeah. not it's not a goal these days, is it? No, and I think when we started, you know, it was just gig as much as possible anywhere. We went literally anywhere, didn't we? Yes, we were just yeah. driving the whole time. Um, I remember giving myself repetitive strain injury in my elbows because my steering wheel used to vibrate slightly, <laughs> and uh, I'd driven for so long and for so many hours, my elbows went. I mean, I literally knocked my elbows out of joint driving. That's yeah. No, I had back trouble yeah. in my late twenties ju- just because of the amount of. I did. I think in the first year that I was um, a, a stand-up, like a proper fully working... I did 55,000 miles. Yeah, yeah, in, I in wasn't my first far year. off that. Yeah, my car used to piss out um, exhaust fumes into the into the car. <laughs> so by the time I got home, I was just Sleepy. off my face on exhaust fumes. <laughs> yeah, I remember the exhaust fell off on the M25 once. It fell off, and I remember thinking, "Why is there a tractor following me?" Because it just sounded like yeah. behind me. And it was when I got out of the car, I went, "Oh, I don't have an exhaust anymore. It's gone." Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I oh, hard, 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 hard. But I mean, the, the the thing is, I mean, at the risk of you know, and I always worry that I'll sound like an old fart when I talk about this stuff. But that is, you know, the only way to get good at stand up is to do it. Like you can, if you want to play acoustic guitar, you can sit in your house and you can probably get up to a level of competence that if you yeah. can keep your nerves when you're in front of an audience, you can deliver that skill set. Whereas stand up yeah. really isn't a thing unless people are, are watching it. So, yeah. so that's what I think It's all, you know, people have a different sort of approach to getting known or getting a profile now, but when it comes down to it, the fundaments of the, the talent can only be uh, learned one way, right? I would think so. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I know that people are sort of getting bigger profiles online, etc., etc., etc. I've yet to see somebody who's got a massive online profile do a live show. I've, I've yeah, and um, I'd be interested to see how those skills, yeah, transfer. You know, I, yeah. Um, well, maybe they maybe they have to sort of recreate their own house so that when they hold yeah. the camera in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> they have to build this this fucking giant set. Here's me with my stripped down stuff. I mean, I suppose I suppose that for the punters that go and see that, they're sort of not necessarily expecting it to be amazing. But it's like I get to see that person that I look at in my phone in my hand all yeah. day long. I get to be in a I room get to with see that in person. Real life. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, Which is a bit like sort of seeing bands, isn't it? When we were kids, it was that sort of thing. That was, it's yeah. I don't know, but it's a very different thing being out on stage in front of a live audience it really really is and they change so much as well you know there's so many different variables that can happen in a live room so yeah it's only dealing with it and experiencing it that you you get any good at it and and yeah there is a a change in of the guard just in terms of but i do think this is one thing i do think the stuff that works well with punters i don't think changes that much over time they really like observational humor delivered Mm. well right that's still that's still where the fish are biting right yeah 
I mean, my audience, I'm on tour at the minute, my audience are definitely getting older. Uh, you know, this is probably yeah. the last tour I do because it's the last year I'll get out of them, ring out of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm enjoying it so much. It's uh, so much fun. Um, and it is, it's just having a laugh. Yes. We're having a laugh. Yeah, that's what it is. And I do, it's, I've got a weird demographic, my audience. My audience at the moment is quite strange. It's sort of a mixture of Radio 4 listeners. Um, uh, and then every now and again, I get really young people coming along. Well, where have you found me from? It's quite interesting. It is quite interesting. It's quite nice. I was at, I, oh, this will, I was in Glasgow a few weeks ago, and after the tour, I had met some up, up with some friends after the, the gig, the show. And these two young girls came up to me who were in their 20s who'd been to the show and they were like, we loved it so much, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they went, and look at you staying out having a drink. Good for you. I hope I'm like that when I'm your age. I'm like, Christ, I'm not dead, mate. Yeah, get out of my face. (laughs) (laughs) Look at you. (laughs) Having a drink. Well, you know, you say, you know, back in the Jonglers days, I would have stayed in the venue and had a drink. With, oh, with, God, yeah. with the punters. I mean, that used to be a thing. I was thinking about that the other day. Uh, if you think about the sensitivities of the modern workplace, the fact that they used to allow predominantly male comedians, right, mm-hmm. um, uh, to stay in a venue with loads of Hindus mm-hmm. and gave them drinks tokens. Yeah. Are you mental? Yeah. I know. God. I, but, yeah, I usually couldn't wait to get out of a jungle. My car mm. was started before I'd even left the stage, I think, most times. I used to, oh God, I had some horrific times there. I, Nottingham Jonglers. That was an intimidating like, venue, wasn't it? It was really intimidating. You'd turn up and there'd be like 40 blokes dressed as Robin Hood all off their heads on coke, which I don't remember from <laughs> Maid Marian. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I remember this, the floor manager once. I remember walking into the room and just going, oh, my God, they are going to hate me. I thought, I've got to do 20 minutes in front of coked up Robin Hoods. And I thought, what am I going to do? And the floor manager just came up to me and went, if you get to 12, that's fine. And I was like, <laughs> yes. I mean, it is easy to forget how stressful and intimidating those gigs um, could be because I think in the noughties, certainly up until the credit crunch, people were just a bit more leery. People were jacked up on cheap credit and stuff. And yeah. uh, there was certainly a reckoning that happened after the credit crunch. where, And then, you know, we had a lot more comedy on telly. And I, I noticed that the behaviour of punters got a lot better. You know, stereotypically, mm. people tend to think, well, society's getting worse. Everything's getting worse. I'll tell you one thing that's got better is punters' behaviour. Because when people talk yeah. about heckles now, the only thing you can really say is, well, they're distractions. It's when people act silly. It's not... But then but then there were some, there were some Christmas gigs where, you know, I was trembling to go on in front of like a room yeah. of very working class, you know, about 400 people at somewhere like Nottingham... Jonglers, mm. almost all of them were in groups of stags or hens. Mm. I used to think of it, I don't know if you remember that film, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, when all the orcs are standing there banging yes. their fingers yeah. on the floor. So it felt like, whereas now, you know, we, we're lucky enough to tour, it's a cooperative endeavour with people that like what you do. Then it felt like a fight that you had to win. Yeah, I, I often I often cried. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once sitting outside of a jongler's, can't remember which one it was, and crying and thinking, so you're these people's entertainment. They've they've rented, a, yeah. hired a bloody babysitter for the night, and you're having a cry before you go on. But something in this equation isn't right. And I, it was after that I stopped doing them. I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is mm. silly. I'm supposed to be people's entertainment, and I'm having a weep, a gentle little weep yeah. before I go on. I mean, I always thought the tears of the clown thing was something that it shouldn't happen that close to the performance itself. Just, you know? just in the green room. <laughs> and then you, not, Certainly not when you come on and they're like, has she been, yeah. has she been crying? She, yeah, has she been yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, it, it can happen. I, I saw one again. This was a Nottingham um, Jonglers. This was a Christmas gig. And a very good comic, who I won't name, went on and... And it went bad. And then it, yeah. he, you know, that thing like sometimes those high status male comics would do where they go, I'm going down in flames. And yeah, so yeah, they would yeah. make it worse. <laughs> I can remember at one point through the sort of jeers and people calling him a wanker, I heard him go, I was never a happy boy, really. <laughs> oh, God, that's so revealing, isn't it? It was that's really so, fun. That's really tragic. And then he yeah. toughed it out up there. But then I remember he walked straight into the dressing room without breaking stride, got a pint glass, got a bottle of red wine and just turned the red wine bowl into the pint and filled it up. Wow. Yeah. I don't blame him. What most people think. When you started, you, you 
trained to be you trained in acting at the poor school uh, mm. in, in London. I remember at that time was was there any kind of like sort of snobbishness from com- comics about the acting thing? Because I can remember the, there was a very Alfrey mm. thing of like, no nah, man, it's comedy pure and applied or nothing. Yeah, yeah, no, it would get mentioned, and I and I and of course it would because I would do things like a warm up stretch before I went on stage. <laughs> <laughs> so you try and do that in a green room full of comics and then not get yeah. not have the piss taken out of you. But I would, I, I, I sort of, just to sort of get out of my head, you know, get out of my mind. Um, I'd, I'd do a little gentle warm up stretch, and I think people were like, "What the fuck vocal exercises." No, I never went that far. I never went that. Should have. What did I? Maybe in the early days, just because I was nervous and I used to speak so quickly on stage and I used to stumble a lot because I was so so nervous. Yeah. Um, uh, I used to just rattle through everything. Just I never left any gaps. Um, in case anybody interjected. Um, yeah. Like a sort of yeah, it was armor so that nothing got in between the cracks. I would speak so quickly. Um, because I was terrified most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, green rooms back then, you know, there is there is greater female representation on the circuit now. But back then, there there really wasn't that much. It is it wasn't so much like that. The the green rooms were macho in the sense that blokes were opening beer bottles with their teeth. But there was just there was that just was a, usually me to be fair, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Slapping it off a table, yeah, yeah. yeah. making making no, the open mean. spot bite the end off your cigar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I very I no, I don't rem- ever remember feeling like. I don't ever remember feeling um, uh, intimidated or made to feel small within green rooms. I really don't. It was more mm. audiences that had an issue, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only th- thing was that you were always just the only woman on. So you were mm. always, you know, because you were visually different on stage when you came out, you were basically the special act. Yeah. You know, it was bloke, bloke. Chuck a bird on bloke, and people would go, yeah. "Oh, it's a special act, right? Okay, we'll go and we'll go and have a wee or you know have a pint." So you were always just the, the odd one out, um, and that's when that got that that was dull. That was hard to deal with. But yeah. I always loved the camaraderie and the friendship and the fun in green rooms. I, I was really delighted in other comics' company, of course. Yeah, but yeah. It, it, that was the thing. Is it? It wasn't like um, obviously you know there would have been examples of certain people, but broadly speaking, as you say. It wasn't sort of toxic, but there were certain things that used to happen that I wonder now if a younger comic might take issue. Like there used to be that thing where, where you're about to go on and someone would go, don't fuck it up, you know, just yeah, so yeah, they could yeah. get in your head and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, I wonder now if stuff like that happened by the Monday, there'd be a Twitter thread about it just to say. Well, I'd that, still say that to somebody, <laughs> as a, you know, as I yeah. yeah, laugh. Yeah, yeah, don't fuck but, it but, up. But, you know, if somebody's saying don't fuck it up makes you fuck it up, maybe you're always going to fuck it up was my... Yeah, was you're always, always going to fuck it up. I mean, that's, a, you know, if you, can't, if you can't handle that, then perhaps you're in the wrong business. I mean, it's the status of, of, of gigs them, themselves now, because of course now we've got clip culture where everybody has got to, at any given point, just be uploading clips of them doing stand-up. Stand mm. what, what, what do you think about that? Is that something that does your head in or have you kind of... Are you dabbling in getting stuff online? That dabbling, I dabble mm. in it. Yeah, I, I'm doing it at the minute because I am, you know, trying to sell tickets. So I'm tr- doing it at the moment. Um, I think probably once the tour's finished, that'll that'll end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's at first I was like, oh god, do we have to do this as well? But mm. you know, listen, the world changes and technology changes, and you can you can you can rail against it, or you can just let it flow, go with it and have a flow yeah. with it, and just have a bit of fun with it. Actually, it's, it, I've decided to take everything a lot less seriously and mm. you know, put away my hang-ups. And um, you know, if this is the way things are going, uh, my protests are not going to stop <laughs> the no. tide. Um, so I will participate in in a form that is fun for me and is is going with the flow that's how i feel about it i would i i certainly wouldn't want to get to a point where i have to i know that you know if if you want to keep that going and you want to keep building Mm. on those audiences then it is a constant thing and it is Mm. a daily thing and it is a job in itself and i don't want that as a job i'd rather no I'd rather work for the Woodland Trust. I just, I just no, I couldn't. I don't. It, that's that's not for me. No. I'll, I'll do it to a degree, um, but I don't want that as my full time job. And if at some point comedy became that, 
mm. then I would gently moonwalk into the distance. Well, that, that I mean, it's interesting because we spoke about the economics of people doing gigs now. There's a very real chance that at some point um, that people will market gigs and say, well, the fee is, you know, it's not a great fee, but it's very clippable. You know, yes, we do videos. Yeah. So we have we could have a total reversal whereby people are doing club gigs for the clips. That's, I mean, probably yeah. that's already already happening, you know. Well, like a version of our gig, literally a gig economy. I mean, that's yes. what that will become, isn't it? It's a, that, is your, that is your absolute, yeah, ultimate gig economy. Um, um, and, yeah, I don't think you're too far off the mark with that. But then it all comes down to what, how you value a human and how you value entertainment and how you value yeah. interaction and how you value community and how you value all of those things. And, the, you know... There's nothing beats a room full of li live people. <laughs> Having yeah, yeah. in front of dead people. Come on, your punters aren't that old, Zoe. <laughs> not yet. Um, well, quite cruise ship material yet, but. Um... <laughs> But just that coming together and having a laugh and having a drink mm. and a chat with people in the interval even is just listen leaving our houses, leaving our houses. That became Otherwise a radical become, act, didn't it? Yeah, <laughs> After the because, last few years. Yeah, I think it's really important, and so much mm. is available to us by not leaving our houses. And then society sits down and goes, "I'm lonely," and you go, "Well, why do you think you're lonely, a dick? You mm. know, you haven't left your bloody." <laughs> house for a week oh. well no i think that that is where that is where comedy keeps its appeal and i think that i think there's so many like you know acts touring at the moment and that and that, that's great i just i think that like you say that's my fear is you get you go all right i've done some i've got some video footage over a period of time i'll i'll knock some of them out yeah. and people can see but the point where you go i have to keep doing that because there's some there's some accounts and these aren't stand-up accounts as such but like there's one account where it's really funny on TikTok where this woman, her dog and her cat fight and she commentates, play fine, but she commentates yeah. on it like it's boxing. It's so funny. It's really good. But once you are the that person, yeah, that is what worries me. That if, if people come to you for one particular thing, you then get frozen in, in that moment in time. Whereas stand-up, at least with stand-up, as long as what you're talking about is funny, you can do, you know, a yeah. lot of a lot of different things. That's what I worry. If if the if your constant thing is to say, uh, oh, you know, dogs do this, cats do this, you know, which oh. which is look, I've done that as as a routine in the past, or or, or one age group does this, or one age group mm. does that. That is what I worry because that eventually you're going to get bored with that, or the punters are going to get bored with that. Yeah. Yeah, and, they, and your punters will have a certain expectation when they come along to the show. And I just, I do wonder about sort of attention span over, yeah. over the course of an hour and a half. It's. Um, Would you think we'd have to start doing jump cuts in our set? So we'll just be at like what feels like the end of a routine. We a haven't routine. quite finished the routine yeah. and then we suddenly change our clothes and we're in a different place. <laughs> and the, I mean, when it gets like that, I will bail. I'll bail in. Yeah. I'll bail in. Um, like I say, it's... Um, you can't you can't hold back the tide, but sometimes mm. you don't want to be taken away with it either. So I just had I think it's about finding a sort of real. I'm 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 when I finish this tour, I'm going to take a long hard sit down and think mm. about how I'm going to go into the future and what I want to do. I mean, a good thing I suppose with with podcasting for someone in my age is is, is it's it's at least I mean, podcasting still sounds new when it's completely not. It's just you know you get to a certain age where you think things are new that aren't. I still think the show Tipping Point is like a new quiz show. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what this, season twenty or whatever it's. Yeah, on. I like this yeah. new wacky for oh, just like the chase. It's great to see all yeah. these new quiz shows coming out. Um, so it, the podcast at least is just radio. At least I go, I get that. People talking, people chatting and stuff. But there, there's a degree, you know, with technological wizardry that's needed where I think, I don't know, I I'm, I don't know if I'll ever get my head around that. I don't. Are you quite tech savvy? Not really. I could get up to, I mean, the thing, the reason I can edit my own podcast was just because I had reason to edit things over a period of time. The problem problem with, like, technology is it's like trying to join a show at like season 20 isn't it yeah if you it's like facebook if when you look at facebook it makes sense to you because you were there from the beginning you saw all the previous iterations it's like when you try and show an older person now they've no reason to understand why that bit's there or that bit's there sure and it's yeah. the same same with like um um editing software and it's so fucking hard to learn new stuff in it i mean yeah it, and it makes I, you sad as well yeah i mean i, I i'm i'm <laughs> Re am I reasonably okay with it? I don't know. I mean, I've got a microphone and headphones on. I look like I know what I'm doing here, don't I? Um, yeah. 
yeah. Um, Select input, you know, I can do that shit all day oh, long. Oh, I can just about do that, <laughs> yeah, just about But do if it that. goes wrong, I get scared, I have to leave the room, scared, breathe. Throw the computer out of the window and move on. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to be so many, you have to be really multi-skilled these days. I know. So many things, you have to be, you have to produce the work, deliver the work. <laughs> Edit the work. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's very multifaceted. It really. I think is. that there's an argument where comedians at one point probably didn't do enough work, whereby you could earn a very good salary for just doing three or four gigs a week. Yeah. And that was probably a full storm. I think we've overcorrected. Is what yes, I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the other way. I did not get into this job to be getting up on a Monday thinking, right, I've got lots of things to do today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> One thing that I think, you know, is potentially a good thing about the clips is that where the gatekeepers of television, you know, sometimes they tend to come from a, a certain kind of background, you know, very yep. metropolitan, very middle class and stuff. And, and, you know, so they go up to Edinburgh and stuff and they sort of say, oh, observational stuff, seen it, done it, you know, all stuff about men and women, seen it, done it. Whereas actually the general public are like, well, we, we sort of still like that stuff. Yeah. And I think that, you know, one of our friends that's done very well recently with her clips is, is Jen Brister. And mm -hmm. it's really interesting to me is because obviously TV were like, Going, well, Jen, you know, they might look at her as a gay comic first and foremost, right? Whereas the yeah. public watching her going, well, like, she's a mum. You know, like, the, the yeah. public have yeah. got a far more sort of pure take on things. So the, the, I guess there is the, the, they just go, she's really great at comedy and, and she's talking about things that I understand. Whereas if you're in the, the TV world, you go, oh, this is a diversity thing. So we'll have a, that person or that yeah. person. So I suppose the one good thing about the clip stuff is, is that really good stand-up does tend to shine through. Yes, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It does sidestep those gatekeepers who at times, I mean, we know what, I mean, television makes no sense, does it? Mm, it makes no. absolutely no sense whatsoever. You know, you try and get your head around it and you try and wonder how certain things happen and how certain things get made and how certain people get to make certain things. And you're like, I don't understand this at all. Whereas, yes, it has entirely sidestepped that mm. and, and, and provided another outlook on things so yes you're absolutely right and that can only be a good thing that can only shake things up um and, and then yeah. you get you know and, and and that happened to an extent with someone like paul smith up in liverpool who was doing yeah, you know ahead of, very much ahead of yeah. the curve and doing crowd work which was very recognizable to us obviously he's brilliant at it and it's very distinctive but then you've got a whole generation of youngsters have gone, I've never seen this. I know, yeah. I had somebody <laughs> say that to me recently. Um, they'd yeah. gone to see Paul and um, they were like, I've never seen anybody doing this. I'm like, what, comparing? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was groundbreaking for them. I was like, well, fair enough. I mean, but that is, again, that's a consequence yeah. of gatekeepers who've decided we've seen too much comedy. There's no audience for that. Mo Gilligan's another great example when he was yeah, doing he those, just those sketches. He seemed to sidestep all of the club stuff, didn't he, really? And didn't i mean i i never worked with him in the clubs at all um, no and uh, and and what he was doing was was sort of making broad brush strokes like funny warm observations about how men and women are really oh. but he's doing it in a, a neat modern way with sketches and I, I remember when i was on the mash report there was um they were they were putting out clips and there was a there was one clip that had done particularly well and it took them all by surprise and they go, it's got 10 million views. And I said, what's it about? They said, well, it's sort of about the difference between Northerners and Southerners. Oh, my God, I went, really? Yeah. I went, that'll be it then. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> I what mean, people want. Yeah. People want, they want it to resonate. They want it to be... Yeah. Comedy comes out of recognize, being recognisable. People go, mm. oh, you know, it's... Th those are the words that you hear when you, when you speak to an audience afterwards. They go relatable recognizable yes. yeah. i i observed the same thing you know they feel clever if you've sort of held something up to it and gone look at this they go i've also observed that that's yeah. how that works yeah yeah it's that uh, and that's the community aspect of it that's the connection that's where the connection has to come from and i like that connection in a room okay just interrupting the chat with Zoe there. I hope you're enjoying it. Just to say, well, let's give a shout out as we haven't had any new patrons this week to some existing, existing, existing patrons from the other tiers. Uh, we got Cyrus Reddy Campbell, um, which I, I don't, I don't think I could have read that out before, but, um, but thank you for your support. Cyrus Reddy Campbell, Cyrus Reddy Campbell. Sounds like one of those, you know, those wrestlers that came out in the mid nineties. It was only about for two weeks, <laughs> just a shit concept and a shit nickname. Cyrus Reddy Campbell and he just came out to Cotton Eye Joe <laughs> went out for and he had this really maybe had this really like kind of really problematic take on being like white trash he just came out with like two teeth and he was just fucking 
just like looking weirdly at his sister. Okay, let's move on. Uh, we got Dan Brown, uh, the obviously the novelist for the, the Da Vinci Code. It's great that a novelist like Dan Brown would would uh, support my work. So if you want to be part of the Patreon community, just remember you go on Patreon, search Jeff Norcott, and you can join. There's any tier you will have uh, access to my last three comedy specials. Um, obviously, if you're VIP, you get guaranteed questions in the monthly Patreon-only episode. And also, I do throw out some of those questions to the other tiers as well. And of course, the book. Pre-order the book. Just pre-order the book. Look, if I get to a point where the numbers suggest it will be enough to be on the Sunday Times bestseller list, I'll stop going on about it. There you go. There's a the deal. <laughs> I'll shut the fuck up if you pre-order the book. And then, of course, because there are no adverts on this podcast, by the way, that's what the patron does. It keeps it weekly and ad-free, but it does create time for me to hype all my own shit, uh, is the tour. So um, there are several venues sold out now. I'm just saying that this, it, I'm I'm confident that most of them will sell out. So this is I'm saying this for you guys. I, I just don't want you to be disappointed. And the other good news is, is that there have been people asking me about dates, some notable places that I wasn't going, most notably Nottingham. If you just sit tight, next week I'll have some news on that. I mean, interestingly at the moment, we're in a, a, an era whereby Frankie Boyle's New World Order was cancelled recently, and that's on the back of, you know, topical comedies um, like The Mash Report, which got its second cancellation. I think we should go for the hat trick. <laughs> go for uh, the hat trick. <laughs> um, um, 8 out of 10 cats, a topical version, got cancelled from Channel 4. They, and cancelled, is always said, it, it's not recommissioned. They're, they're slightly different things. Um, yeah. and, and, and obviously, Mock the Week. Well, and yeah. I, I just thought that what was interesting is that, you know, a while ago, there was this discussion. And obviously, everyone told me I was a made guy, you know, when Tim Davies said we're going to change it. I was like, right. Roll up, roll up. I'm going to get booked on everything. But yeah. t- t- TV's kind of gone, actually, we'll just cancel all those shows because it's really yeah. fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, what's left? Um, have I got news for what's you? Have, have I got news for you? There's the news, the news yeah. quiz is still doing great things. But yeah. I, I just think that, is, I mean, what, what the thing that the public might not be aware of is it's really hard to get audience doing topical stuff. Um, and, and, and I wonder, again, how much social media has played a part because the ability to be ahead of the news cycle in, in a social media sense now is really, is, is really, really hard, you know. And obviously the repeat, I think, and the, maybe the bigger thing is because for the last 15 years, something like Mock the Week would get repeated quite a lot and people didn't think it was weird. But then suddenly in about the last five years, repeats of topical shows are like, it's a whole fucking different world now. Yeah, yeah. Ed, I mean, Ed Miliband. Week week. <laughs> I mean, but that's that. That we are, I guess, in an unprecedented time in political history yeah. where it just it seems to be calming down a little bit in this country yes. at the minute. Um, but you only have to pop over to France to go. They're kicking off. Look at that. That's yep. happening there. <laughs> um, so it's. Re- it's really hard to keep abreast of it and keep funny mm. with it. Um, but, you know, um, you know, our, our list trust jokes were redundant within two weeks. You know, that's know. the thing, you know. No, well, so when will like anybody really think of the material. comics? <laughs> yeah, so it's actually really tricky. Also, it, um, because of the streaming nature of news, because of the st- constant, mm. constant, constant recycling and, you know, refreshing of it, yeah, it is really hard to keep abreast, and there are millions of people on Twitter who will be much funnier than I will ever be about things that are happening in the. You know, there are people well, that are specifically aiming at stuff like that, and actually, I'm not, I'm like, well, I I can't compete with that. I'm not a, I'm not as quick quick as um um. It seems like they're there, just waiting to press the send button. You know, well, that, that's like, oh, what I'm... I sort of think is. I think I might be able to think of a half decent one liner if a news story breaks, but then somebody within an hour could have a professional looking sketch. I yeah. just think ha, that, that, there's no way that topical comedy um, can compete with that. I mean, I, I do think it's it's a shame in a way that there was this challenge of getting more diversity of viewpoint into topical shows, and that challenge was fully rejected by uh, the TV industry. They're going, "Oh fuck it, we'll do, we'll just make uh, we'll make road trip shows instead." Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wonder, I wonder if road trip, what, what a road trip show. One of the appeals of it, in a way, is because there is generally, you know, there are certain sensitivities now. Do they sort of work? Because if you get two people that seem to like and trust each other, they yeah. can potentially say things to each other 
that you couldn't say generally, if you yeah, know what possibly, I mean. Like, yeah, possibly, yeah, yeah. Um, also, they're just a laugh. Sorry, I mean, I just did one with yeah. Joe Wilkinson. We did Turkey for the world's most dangerous roads. And, um, um, I mean, I, I I had a great time because <laughs> I was yeah, with yeah, my yeah. mate. I was with my mate. Yeah. Um, and I have to be honest, neither of us were particularly political in our observations as we uh, yeah. gently rimmed Armenia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. sorry, you're telling me that the working gig that involved a holiday was somehow more enjoyable than It was the more week. enjoyable than driving to Plymouth and doing Club Fandango, I have to be honest. <laughs> I have to be honest, yeah. So we drove up the Iranian border. Uh, yeah, it was, um, it was interesting. I mean, it's... Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, 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 like I say, when this tour finishes, I'm going to have a long, hard sit down and sort of mm. um, think about which way I want to go after this. I want to do stuff that actually makes me feel. I want to do stuff that makes me feel happy. That's what I. That's, that's what mm. I will do. And I, and I will do. And, and if that involves filming stuff and putting it up online, I find I enjoy that. Then I will do that. But um, yeah, um, I certainly don't want to be a slave to whatever this genre becomes. Mm. Life's too short well, for I'm, that, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, you, as you say, like things things do change. There was this this huge amount of panel shows. Then it sort of slimmed down. I mean, you were you were regular um, on Mock the Week when, when you did it. Was it in the scary bit of it? You know, there's that bit yes. where it made comedians tense. You so oh, you God, did it yeah. during that tense. Jesus Christ! Yes, it was ulcer producing. It was absolutely <laughs> yeah. It was terrible. And also, I wasn't. Um, I, when I first did it, I wasn't up to speed as to what was involved with what I should be doing, my like to how to approach those sorts of panels. You know, I wasn't. Fully well, you mean armed. everyone else is using a whole team of writers? <laughs> I had no idea, Jeff. Yeah. It was only after I'd done a few of them and I went, "Oh, right, is that what people are doing?" Oh, yeah. okay. It just wasn't. I didn't. I wasn't aware. I mean, perhaps my own naivety, but. Um, um, so I had to change the way I approached doing those. But yeah, it was it was. Um, and again, I was when I started doing it, I was the only woman on the show. So mm. again, you're just like uh, 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 an, uh, uh, an audience's eye would scan along the panel and go bloat, 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 bloat. Oh, what's that? Bloat, bloat. So you're mm. always going to stick out, always going to stand out. And I, do you know what? Now that the time has passed and you know mm. I, the show is gone, I can say I fucking hated that. It's horrible because <laughs> all the other blokes would be in each other's dressing room, sharing like talking about jokes yeah. and stuff, and I never felt part of it. And actually, that mm. was really hard. I mean, it wasn't always like that, but often it was. It often it was, and I think I didn't give myself enough credit at the time for going. Do you know what? This is a really tricky environment to be in. I already, yeah. you know, I am the only woman on the panel. Already, audiences will have their opinion about that. Um, mm. Because you were the only one, people just went. She's only there because they've got to put one on. That's so. That's what you were. You were seen I, as the token because you so were I, the fucking token. So I've been there. Yeah. You know, as, as the writer said, I'm, I'm not equating my struggle with that yeah. of, of women historically. But but yeah, there was I mean, look, there, there's a Venn diagram here. And I do think when you're the only one of one sex on a show, but like immediately I did feel that thing. And I started to understand how female comics felt was that I knew that if I didn't do well, my failure would be held up as an example of previous stereotypes so they would go yeah. see to told you right wingers couldn't be funny told you somebody you know so it does it does actually load the bases a little bit yeah totally you know because yes exactly like you say so if i was to fail if i was to be seen as failing on a show like that then it was all women aren't funny and you're like jesus mm. christ really? yeah. yeah i mean yeah. Well, so. the, I did it. I did it once. I, I didn't do. I, I did it was very mediocre when I did it. But I, one of the things that I found hard about it was that I was doing mock at the. Um, I was doing um, mash report at the time, mm. and there was like an authored bit. You got to sort of drive the conversation, mm. and then suddenly it was like bang, 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 bang. And the thing that I found really hard was obviously they'd start off on a subject, and I'd think, oh, I've got a few things I'd like to say on this, and then the banter train would start leaving the station. Yeah. And the banter train would suddenly the the, the it would get very fast. Yeah. And I, I sort of felt like if you weren't on the banter train when it left the station, you could just find yourself standing on the platform. How how did you sort of like fit in with that? I mean, you always looked very comfortable and funny on the show, but um, but how did you feel about all the running jokes and stuff like that? 
So the banter train, yes, I know exactly what you mean by that. And you could feel the slight panic for sort of rising in your chest as you were got, you, you saw the conversation taking off without you. And it's and it's like, oh, here we go. And that was the difficulty as well of um, I only ever got like one ep a series. Um, so people who were getting more and sort of knew each other better have, yeah. have all those familiarities and have those in jokes and you're just not part of them. What I learned to do was not panic. Um, because of course that show as well would famously record for about three and a half weeks I mean, it'd be mm. cut down to a 28 minute show so you knew that um, a huge amount of that was never going to get used so I learned not to panic and I learned just to let it roll because um, uh, actually <laughs> there's nothing sadder I think than seeing somebody who's been left out of a conversation desperately trying to jo join in like guys yeah, guys uh, yeah. I'm here too still <laughs> I mean that was so the I used to just let it roll and know that most of that won't go in um there is always that thing on the panel show which I think is is a devastating moment where you do something that bombs but then oh, somebody yeah. tops tops it with a great joke and you go well that's fucking going in yeah like yeah. immediately you go because normally if it bombs you think well they won't use it but if somebody comes in with something hysterical straight afterwards yeah. I just always thought I, I should just swear now just say the worst words imaginable yeah, to make just this to unusable make it unusable yeah <laughs> or as happened a few times you say something it didn't quite land and then somebody says it, almost exactly what you've just said but louder, and then it, it lands, and you're like, oh, wow, okay. I had that on uh, the news quiz once. I was talking, um, it was obviously while Brexit was still, it hadn't you know, been enacted yet, and I was sitting next to a, <clears throat> a director of European Studies, um, um, and, and I was saying something to him, and, I, and I, I, I was saying something to him about Europe. I was like, well, isn't it true that Europe this or Europe that? And I said, well, there you go. I said, well, there you go, um, uh, Brexiteer. Uh, and I took the piss out of myself, lectures, yeah. Euro European expert. And, and then the audience went quiet. And then two minutes later, the host said that exact same thing and it got a round of applause. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. Oh, that was my fucking that joke. That was my line. I mean, it's a tough crowd. The, uh, you, you must find that as, a, as somebody on the right. A Radio 4 mm. audience is predominantly on the left, so you must find it Well, they like hard. to seem like they are. But they, the thing is, you look at them and obviously I've got, you know, like a gaydar. Yeah. Once upon a time, I've got a Tory dar where I just, I go, you, and I'll tell you, there's younger you have comics. You second home in Cornwall. What it was was a challenge in respect of I was swimming against the tide, but it, it, then if you can just play that for what it's worth, mm -hmm. um, and if you're not being e extreme, you could, you could sort of surf that wave a little yeah. bit. But there were some times where I would say things. The hardest thing was when they misinterpreted me being ironic. Because, again, if you've got, like, a working-class accent as well, you throw that in with people knowing that you voted leave, there's every chance they're not going to credit you with any self-awareness. Yeah, so I would sometimes yeah. say things ironically, and they'd just go quiet and go, oh, they didn't realise that was a joke. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it, I, I get it, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, fa I found the whole, t you know, gigging during Brexit was really, really interesting. Mm. It was really interesting, and I saw a lot of really heavy-handed, um, misjudged material slung out in mm. places where I thought, you've really misread this room. Wow. You know. Well, yeah, it was kind of weird because if you go at the very least, like it, even in the most Brexity or Remaining places, you were probably talking about 60-40. So if you were in a room of 100 people and mm. 60 people thought one thing and 40 another, you think this feels quite close to 50-50, right? So... And I saw the same. I thought people going out, just imagining that everyone thought exactly what they did. Yeah, it was very interesting, and from, actually. From both sides, predominantly, I would say, more from the Remain side. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, even when I did the comedy store, two nights after the Leave vote happened, um, I was working with comics, and they were surprised by the fact that the audience weren't as, as kind of... One, the old punters were generally not as exercised about it, mm. you know, as we were. And two, they've got parents that voted leave, you know, oh. or their partner voted leave or their friend voted leave. It was a real... It was a bit of a watershed in comedy, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really was. It was really interesting. And because we travelled so much, we could see that there was such a split across yeah. the country. Whereas people in... I think people but mostly in London and Brighton, you know, I'm based in Brighton and worked a lot in London, yeah. were genuinely surprised. I was like, well, you mm. take a drive around have a drive yeah. around you know sniff the air so um i do f i you know i'm i'm left leaning um but i hope i never preach i really didn't no, so learn that, that, that because you know 
because rooms are so diverse and you really don't mm. know you, you know it's um there's nothing worse than pre than you know. no no nobody wake i think that that they that is the last thing i always thought that it was like you tell a joke and then you get to make your little point yeah but you, there's no point um with without the joke and i do wonder if you know since brexit because at first it was it was this new dividing line in society and people were surprised at who they disagreed with that they might have thought that they might agree with from before. But then we had COVID and then there was another issue where you go, oh, I thought you'd have been pro or anti-lockdown. Yeah. And then there was a trans. And then there's been all these issues where I think now we're at a point where we're going, oh, yeah, I guess people might have lots of different views yeah, on, yeah, yeah. on a bunch of stuff, which was the most obvious fucking thing in the first place. But I think Brexit was the first one that sort of lanced that boil in mm. a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do less and less topical stuff. I just do, I, you know, I rejoice in the silly these days. I rejoice mm. in the silly. Um, I, I I hear that my show is called Basic Bloke. I mean, I've gone fully like I'm going <laughs> Route One. <laughs> we should we should fit we should finish talking about uh, the tour. It's called the the Bald Ambition Tour. Yeah, Bald Ambition. Yeah, um, called that because uh, I I went through quite a sort of um, uh, tricky couple of years, you know during and post uh, um, pandemic and mm. uh, lost most of my hair. Um, mm. It's growing back. I've got, I'm going through, I was just before I started talking to you, I was looking in the mirror, I'm going through what I can only describe mm. as my very, very tricky growing out phase. Cause I've got, <laughs> I've got like the weirdest looking mullet happening at the minute. Cause it's, it's, it's growing on top, yeah. but it's short. And then I've got little long bits at the back. So I've got like a spectacular mullet. Um, exceptional it's it is quite exceptional it is quite exceptional but i i um when it was when it was happening and i lost i lost a lot of my hair i lost about 85 percent of my hair i had like a tuft basically um yeah i really had to again i had to question whether i wanted to carry on doing stand-up because you know mm. um it's it's quite an exposing job anyway and mm. i didn't feel confident or happy with how I was looking at all and I just didn't know how I was going to sort of carry on with it so um hmm. eventually got to a point where I was able to laugh about it and joke about it and talk about it and I thought you know what so out of the back of this get you know do something for you almost do you know write write the show yeah. and enjoy it and I'm um it's been such a help it's been such a massive help I've met lovely 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 people I mean the show's not just about losing my hair but it's um hmm. but of course it has to be addressed yeah yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is, it's a hilarious title and that always is, that always, <laughs> that always, people forget about t- titles are so I- important. I mean, I've gone basic bloke. That is not, that's more of an excuse than a title. But um, I, I, I think it's interesting with the touring thing, you know, you, you've done it for many years now and you get to know areas. I've always thought that's a great privilege about this job oh. is that I wouldn't know half as much about this country as I do, but then randomly you know, I'll be in Loughborough yeah. and I'll go to a Chinese restaurant in Loughborough and yeah. I'll find out a little bit about, about Loughborough. Is there, is there firstly, is there any places that you've just become really attached to that you love going back to and, and you think, you know, you formed a bond with that city? And then conversely, is there that place where you can never sell and you just never, if something hasn't worked out for you with that city or town? So first up, maybe start with the second one first. What's the place where you people could do getting a shift on for tickets? Uh, probably tonight in Taunton, but this will go out way beyond this, this, this gig. Is, so yeah, well, let's, let's be, deliver yeah. a review yeah. for Taunton. Just be a yeah. review for Taunton. Um, uh, <laughs> mine's Le- mine's Leicester, although it's I think Leicester I've moaned as well. enough. Leicester as well. Yeah, Isn't that strange. And I don't know whether that's because I've just done Leicester, and I don't know whether it's just because it was a month after um, yeah. the comedy festival, whether that was badly timed on my yeah, yeah. half, you know. Um, uh, I find the smaller the towns, the better the the better the turnout. So, yeah. Um, was I They've got nothing else in their lives, have they? Well, got nothing, well, I mean, yeah. it's more concentrated, isn't it? If you live in London, Verwood, have where, you ever done? Yeah. Have you done Verwood in, Verwood in Hampshire? It's a real, first of all, it's a real place. Yeah. And um, you get the sense it's one of those gigs where everybody in the town comes to every single gig there because that's all they've got going on. I'm right. And, that and I'll probably. Verwood, next tour, right. Chorley, yeah, have you done Chorley? Uh, in Lancashire. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got it on. The, I've got it next year. Actually, such a delight! It's such an amazing little theatre. It's like a two fifty seater. It, it always sells out. The the people who run it are just 
beyond charming and the audience are well up for it and again you go why are you here how did this happen but surely yeah. every time i bloody love it i turned on their christmas lights a few years ago um <laughs> that's actually... a that's a good one i mean i think if, if you turn on any christmas lights in yeah. your career no matter what where size town is... city where it is you you did that yeah. and you know yeah you opened a opened a supermarket <laughs> that's a supermarket that's more... turned on their christmas light but surely surely um i was just in barnsley that was really lovely and darwin in lancashire hmm. really really lovely i find the west country harder to sell don't know why don't know why the West, and you think yeah, all I, of them going back to all of those club Fandango days? Maybe they saw my early, early offerings. Yeah, they see, and it's they've seen enough of off. us. Yeah, they've seen enough. <laughs> Aberdeen, Aberdeen is, Aberdeen. A, is another. Is is a, is a tough one, but then lemon, apparently that's yeah. because that's because it's a great gig, but that's because like apparently people that live there don't live there very long, or it's partly to do with the oil industry. But it's yeah. no fucking excuse, Aberdeen. When I you've got, I did take it off the list. You took it off the list, yeah, Aberdeen. Yeah, when, when they sent me through the list of proposed venues, I said, I, I don't want to go to Aberdeen. Well, there you go. I think that that, in, in the, particularly in this week, is a good place to end, is that comedian cancels venue. Yes. <laughs> yes. Aberdeen's been cancelled. Cancelled by a comedian. That's what happens at Aberdeen. And look, if you don't buck up your ideas, uh, other comedians will start to do it. So you need to show up to the party. Um, so, Zoe, uh, where can people uh, uh, find tickets? Obviously, I guess your website... Google Zoe Lyons yeah, tour would Google be a good Zoe, start. So yeah. ZoeLyons.co.uk, uh, all of the tickets are on there. Or on my Instagram, there's a link to it as well. So I've got 14, 14 more dates to go, culminating in Brighton on the 14th of May at the Theatre Royal, which I'm really Ooh, looking forward to. A big one. So yeah. do get along to that or any of the dates that you can. And Zoe Lyons, thanks so much for appearing on What Most People Think. Do you know, Jeff, it's been lovely to chat to you. I miss you, mate. We, uh, yeah, we should see each other in the flesh more often. Okay, that was the chat with Zoe Lyons. Do go and see her tour. She, you won't, you won't be disappointed. It's going to be a great show of, of stand up. And as you know, as we discussed in our chat together, people just want funny now. People just want funny. We just got one letter this week, uh, and this is from Matt, and it says, uh, "Jeff, thank you for continuing to run the podcast weekly and ad free. Well, except for the Jeff plugs." Uh, <laughs> What a week to mention that. Uh, I know on previous episodes, particularly mental health ones, you've talked about the impact journaling can have on mental well-being. Would it be possible in one of the questions in an upcoming podcast to cover off the best way to start journaling? Uh, as a bloke in his late 30s, the concept of writing my feelings daily is pretty alien to say the least. Right. Um, and, <laughs> you've got, and he's also asking, should it be paper-based versus laptop? Free form versus structured? 750 words? That's a very blokey way to come at it, isn't it? You want to get your, your process right. But I do understand that. Because if you've never done something before, that it's just simply, what the fuck do I do? It's why people get so nervous on their first day at a new job. What do I do? Where do I go? Um, and also, you mentioned the concept of writing my feelings is pretty alien. Um, yeah, that is, that is a barrier for a lot of blokes. I would say, it depends. How do you normally write stuff? If you normally use a laptop to type, I would say at the very least use a keyboard. I think writing notes on your eye, anything on your iPhone is too casual and it's too close to a lot of other stuff you'll be doing. So you've got to give it a bit of status, right? So either get your laptop and just open a Word document. That's what I tend to do. Or get a clean piece of uh, clean piece of paper. <laughs> no shit on it, basically. And a pen. Yeah, really, Jeff? A pen with paper? Yeah, I'm loads of advice here. I'm really helping men through... Um, and and just start off with perhaps some recent events. You know, it is hard to get started. So if, you know, if you just start off with things that you went and did or if there was a moment that you could think of where you didn't feel, where you didn't like how you felt, just started describing what happened. You know, to so say maybe you was in a meeting and, you know, you're having a meeting and you just have like anxiety come over you for no fucking reason. Just think, I want to fucking lose it. I want to fucking lose it. I want to fucking lose it. Just just try and think back how it started. Go, what was it? Was there a thought process? So I was sitting there. I knew it was going to be a two-hour meeting, maybe. I thought it. we'd have already got through 40 minutes, but we'd actually only done 17, and that person from HR was still fucking talking. And then I started thinking uh, how long I'd have to sit there, and then I felt a bit of anxiety. And then what you start working out is that there's a pattern to how you feel, which would be described more as cognitive behavioural therapy. Another one could be... If you had a weird dream and it freaked you out, you know, you can just sit there and go, all right, I'll give you an example here. I had a dream. 
Am I going to talk about this? Uh, this could be this could be fucking misconstrued. I had a dream the other night where uh, I'm so regretting saying this. Where Rishi Sunak appeared in my dream and said he had a mission for me. <laughs> now I know that anybody listening to this is probably going to think, yeah, as you're going to get back on the Tory bus and start shilling for them again. I'm, I'm that's not anyone that's listening to the podcast with that. Oh my god, I'm going to have to end the podcast. I wish I'd never said that, but you know, I said it. Yeah, I had a dream. There's any fucking lazy, lazy writers of the Metro or whatever, you know, that just a right wing comedian says. <laughs> Rishi Sunak appeared to him like a deity in his dream. There you go. Um, but, in, you know, in answer to Matt, just start writing. But unlike me, maybe be sensible enough to not tell other people. Um, listen, man, I hope you have a great week and I'll be back uh, early next week with another episode because I'm, go- because I'm going on holiday and the wife doesn't want me doing any podcast next week. So I'm going to record it Sunday. Yeah, it's going to be up Monday and obviously there'll be the Patreon only uh, on Friday as well. But uh, have a great week and uh, what's that? Order the book.